Good morning, everyone. So before we get into, into the study today, let's go ahead and stand up, put a thumb on that Mark 10, and we're going to do some responsive reading in Psalm 119. Uh, I got, I'll go ahead and do the odd numbers if you do the even numbers, and we'll get into it. Verse 49, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. Let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. And it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. You know, the you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And as he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. But as he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying amongst them, among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for, the, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now, with, now in this time? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in, and in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us where we could come together <clears throat> as believers, study your word, and, and apply it to our lives, Lord. Just thank you for the blessings that you've given us, the sureness of eternal life through your son, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We, we are blessed by your presence in us, Lord. Go before us in our time. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> so if you guys, if any of you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors on staff. My name is Bobby. Um, I am the operations pastor and also the Spanish ministry pastor. So today, the worship team blessed us with two languages, Spanish and English, and it was amazing and I thank you for the worship, thank the worship team for the amazing job that they did to just bless us with that worship um, today. Also today, we invited the Spanish ministry to come join us today. So if you see people in the audience with headpieces on, they are listening to the message as Julio Rios is transmitting it in the other room. So the reason, there's a reason for all this stuff going on, okay? We have a plan. The, the Spanish ministry has been meeting in room 110 for the past few years, and actually we've outgrown that room for quite a bit. Um, so 
through all prayer and talking with the staff and the other pastors, we've decided to move our Spanish service to the 9 a.m. slot in the fellowship hall. So that's going to start on September 3rd, which is next week. Um, so that's why we've invited all of us to be part of the, uh, the worship service today. So from my heart to the Spanish ministry, thank you for your heart towards the ministry and from my heart to Calvary Chapel South in general. It's been a blessing to be a part of this congregation and to see how, how the Spanish ministry has grown here at Calvary Chapel South. It started by six people just coming together, doing a simple Bible study to having about 60 to 65 people coming here and worshiping together as a family. So thank you from my heart to yours and I wanna give everybody here a shout out. <clears throat> so through this study, it has really hit my heart um, as the, the, well, the title I put as a message is, What Shall I Do? And as, as we read today, it's about the young rich ruler. So throughout this message and throughout my sermon, I'm going to apply things that has really woven into my life and my wife's life and my family's life. Um, so I want to start off that I grew up in Southern California. My parents are from Nicaragua, Central America, and they, come up, they came up here in the 80s um, through amnesty from Nicaragua, and we grew up in a pretty rough part of town. I grew up in South LA and in Rialto, California, and there was um, <clears throat> a, a man in our neighborhood, he said, I grew up in an environment where being polite was taken as a weakness, so I fought everybody. That was me. I used to fight everybody because we had to strive for something that we thought was better. It was either drugs, alcohol, or this lifestyle that we thought was life. Coming to know Christ, I knew that I was never going to accomplish that part that I thought was really life. Growing up, we grew up poor. We grew up with not much in, um, as a family, but we did have love. But there was one thing missing, and that was Jesus. Uh, my parents did the best that they could, raising my sister and I. Um, but there was something different that was always seemed to be missing. And um, today, as we speak, as I speak a little bit into that, um, I just want to invite you into my family, invite you into my conversations with my children and um, and my wife. Uh, so, my wife and I, we've been married for 25 years. We have three. Yep. Um, we have three beautiful children. Our daughter, she is 29. She is a firefighter for South King County, so I pray for her daily. Um, she's going into dangerous spots. And then um, I have my son, who is 24 years old. His name is Xavier, and he has two two boys. Like Andre, I mean, Andre's my third son, but um, I get them all mixed up. <laughs> Giovanni. Giovanni is my four-year-old grandson, and my one-year-old grandson is Carmelo. And then Andre is our 22-year-old. Um, as I told the first service, is, uh, Andre is, is back home. A few weeks ago, I was watching TV in my living room, and I see him coming out of his old room. And I'm like, oh, you're home. He's like, yep, I moved back in. I was like, okay, sweet. And the first thing he says is, I'm hungry. I'm like, all right. So they're all, they're all here, and I'd love to be a part of them. And last night, when we went to the family, um, family and faith night, um, it was an amazing game. Like Pastor Garrett said, one Grand Slam, and I think Grand Slam, and I think seven home runs. It was a great game. And then after the game, we were able to worship together as believers at the stadium. And one of the precious moments that I held was with my grandson. <laughs> Not Mark but the picture of my grandson. Anyways, we were worshiping together. Well, I was worshiping, and I was just singing, um, and he just put his forehead on my forehead, and I just started crying and thanking the Lord for the blessing it is to be a grandfather, the blessing it is to be amongst believers, and um, that is, that is the, the charge that we have for one another, 
is to build up the next generation, teach them the things of the Lord, teach them the word of God, and be good examples for them. So that was my favorite part of the night. It was awesome. It was amazing. And it was great. Okay. So a part of the bigger part of my life is that most of you know that I was, I'm a chef um, by trade. I went to culinary school, um, the Art Institute of Seattle. I went there for, for quite a bit. Before going into the Art Institute of Seattle, though, I was already working in kitchens before that. And I was arrogant. I was overconfident. I was a young cook back then. And I thought I knew everything. So my fifth quarter is world cuisine. And I had a chef. His name was Chef McBride. Um, he is resting with the Lord now. I remember when um, I was in culinary school, he would say, do you know about Jesus? And I'm like, I know Jesus. He's washing dishes right now. But I don't know Jesus. Um, so at that time, even the Lord was trying to tug at me that I need to pursue him or need to know a little bit about him. Well, Chef McBride, he had a lot of initials after his name because he was a renowned chef in, in a lot of different areas. So my, last, my second to last quarter was world cuisine. So at the practicum, you know, you got to present your dish, your best dish. And um, I had my recipe. I was executing it. I thought I had the best plate, best dish ever. Well, Chef McBride comes up. He tastes it. He says something that I can't repeat here. And he goes, you are missing something. And for those of you who are taking notes, I'm going to give you guys a secret ingredient to when you're cooking. So write it down. He said, go home, look at your recipe, check your flavor profile on your dish, and come back to me in the morning. And we'll talk about it, and I'll give you your grade. I'm like... All right, so I'm already stressing, right? I get home, I look at my recipe, I, I remember my flavor, my flavor profiles, I write, I took notes. I get to school the next morning, and I'm like, chef, I don't know what I'm missing. And he comes up to me, he's like, you're missing one thing that you need to know about world cuisine. And he said, that's love. When you cook, you need to add love to your dish. So understanding that, and I didn't understand it back then, because I did it as a vocation, just to put money on the, on the table. But he let me know that I needed to put love in everything that I do. And understanding that, as an adult, as a believer, I try to apply that to my life today. And reading through this text, through this scripture, I need to know where my faith lies. And if that's in the things of this world, or in things that are eternally in heaven. So to put a little bit more, so we could connect the text today, I want to read Mark 10, 15. And it says, surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as, little children, as, little as a little child will by no means enter it. So Jesus here is saying that we need to come to him as little children. So as the picture you just saw with my grandchild, he's a little child. I love what Pastor Paul said last week, that kids aren't born atheists. They need to be taught that. Well, my prayer to my grandchildren, to my children, is that they come to know Jesus on an authentic level. There's nothing I could do more than be an example to them. Then can't, they can't inherit that from me. I wish they could. I wish I could just put my faith chip into them and like, right, activate. But no, they need to pursue Jesus as we all try to pursue Jesus. We need to be witnesses to a broken world so people can have hope in Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. So we need to come to him as little children. Where is your trust in? Is your trust in the world or is it in things and promises of Jesus Christ? For one to enter that kingdom of heaven or that kingdom of eternal life, we need to die to ourselves. We need to carry our cross as we're going to read later on and follow Jesus. As I was preparing my message, and um, there's a good thing about knowing when you're going to teach, and then there's also myself as when Pastor Kevin laid out when we're going to teach. I've been mulling on this for a month. 
on this passage for a month. So all last week I was cutting, adding, going, you know, as we do as we're, when we're going to teach. And my wife just said, just have fun with it. You know the passage. You've done the work. Let's have some fun. I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> but understanding that is really just enjoying what we do as, as teachers, as teachers of the word, as love. We need to have joy in what we're doing. So the title of my message that I said was, What Shall I Do? And this is something that I need to do daily to get closer to Jesus. Our culture, our culture tells us that we need to strive better. We need to be, um, we, need to, we can't be subpar, we can't be average, we can't be good, but we need to be better or the best. As I was kind of uh, in my culinary career in the beginning, I wanted to be that best. So I was arrogant, I was overconfident, but I was missing love. Today, brothers and sisters, I pray that you can seek God's love that he has for you and to your heart. He, want, he doesn't want us to be better or the best. He wants us to live sacrificially for him. The economy, the accolades, I mean, our economy um, sets, uh, sets us at accolades, business, wealth, influence, all these things that every season changes. The Lord does not change. I look at social media today, or kids looking at social media, and it breaks my heart because they want to strive to be something that it's unattainable, something that they can never get to. We need to reflect and put the camera on us and how are we representing Jesus Christ through our lives. Not through Snapchat, not through Instagram or whatever other platform you want to choose. But we need to look at ourselves through the word of God and how he's going to work through our hearts. We need to be constantly moving towards pursuing Jesus. We cannot stop pursuing him. God's standard is holiness only from him. He calls us good. And as we see, as we're going to see, this rich young ruler calls him good. Verse 17 says, now as, we, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So here, Mark is telling us that Mark is telling us that Jesus and his disciples are working towards Jerusalem. They are, they're walking, they're getting there, and this guy, this young guy, just comes up and he kneels before him. If we're just reading that, I'm like, who is this guy? Who, which one of us would just run up and kneel before somebody? I pray that we don't kneel before anybody except for God. We need to know which God we're worshiping. We need to know that our God is a God of salvation, a God of hope, a God of promise. So this man is mentioned later on uh, in the other gospel in Luke 18, where it says, now a certain ruler. So now we know that it's a young man and he's a ruler. So that allows me to think that he is a very influential man, maybe of great health, uh, wealth, status, maybe a leader in the local synagogue there. Um, some kind of person that knows who God is, but maybe he doesn't know who Jesus is. For us, we know that Jesus is our God. And when he calls him good teacher, he has given Jesus his reverence that he is good. But Jesus tells him, Jesus tells him, what shall, um, sorry, Jesus tells him that no one why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So some, some people would want to say that this is where Jesus is not God because he's asking them a question. But he's asking them a question to provoke him, to make him think, is this really Jesus? Is this God? But we know that he is God. He is our true and living God. 
and us as believers, where do we put our faith in? What the world says about Jesus or what the word of God says about Jesus? We know that he is the good teacher. We know that he is a son. We know that he is our savior. We know that he is our friend. But most importantly, we know that he laid his life down on the cross for us. And it's almost to say the world wants us to think that Jesus is just this prophet, this man that walked Jerusalem with no shoes on. We don't know what he looks like. But the word says that he is a God. He is our promise, our hope. He is our all and he is our everything. One could assume that this man's Faith was based on works, status. What can I do to inherit this kingdom? What can I do to come closer to God? It's not a golden ticket. There's nothing that we could do to, strive, to, to be in good terms with God other than give our lives to him, live a sacrificial life. What are we missing in our lives to inherit this eternal life? What are we missing that is not allowing us to serve our God? Just like that child that he was saying in verse 15, we need to come to him like children, a childlike faith. And I pray that for all of our children. I messed up a lot in my life. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you straight up. And I love her for that. Because... I need to hold true, and I need to hold dear what God has changed in my life. Because it's easy to go back to the world. It's easy to just mess up a little bit and not come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. As I look at my grandson, Giovanni, he might not understand who Jesus is yet, but I know that could be that example for him. I could be that influence in his life for him to come to Jesus. And that's the charge that we have for everybody here as adults, as parents, as uncles, as aunts. Pastor Gary just said here we need 10 volunteers to help in the children's ministry. It's not just going there and reading them Bible stories. It's being in there and doing life with them, being an example for them. And that's how the world knows that we are different, not just a little different, but that we are different because we praise and we kneel down to a true and living God that lives in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. So Jesus here is using the same strategy when he says good. In the context, the word is kalos, which means excellence in nature or characteristic. That is our God. He is good in nature. He is good all in and out. And in that sense, brothers and sisters, we know that we are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, we have fallen short. But God sent his son so we could be redeemed by his blood. He is our true Messiah. I call you good because you are, you, I say, I call you good because you are God. You are the Messiah. That should be his response. The young rich ruler, that should be his response to Jesus. Because he is good. Because we know, I know that you are the Messiah. So as we are reflecting on today's scripture, do we know that Jesus is good? Do we know that he is our God? And I ask you, what shall I do to be good with him? There's not much I can do. Actually, there's nothing I could do other than kneel down before him, ask for forgiveness, and his promises are true to us. Mark 19, 10, 19 says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, 
all these things I have kept from youth. So without hesitation, Jesus is knowing that this guy might be a part of a synagogue or something. So we, he knows that they're studying the Old Testament. So he leads them straight to Exodus 20 and these commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. We know not to do these things, right? Because they're against God's design. They're against God's um, plan for us. These six commands um, are to deal with a person horizontal, uh, to deal with people horizontally. But he says, do not defraud. Defraud, really do not scheme. Do not do something to, get, to gain money from. Do not be a, a schemer. So in that sense, it makes me think, all right, this young rich ruler has probably done some sketchy stuff, right? Some sketchy stuff. So that allows me to believe that, hey, Jesus said, do not defraud. What becomes quite interesting in the verse 19 is that he command, the, the commands in which Jesus is reciting are directly related to this man's relationship with other people. How do I deal with people who no longer, who I honor others' created image of God? We are all created in God's image, each and every one of us. Doesn't matter if we speak English, Spanish, or from Central America, United States, or any parts of the world, we are all created in his image. And that is a beautiful thing to honor. This man, we need to understand that this man probably doesn't honor people in a sense where he probably feels like he doesn't do anything wrong because he's holding the other commandments. His external engagements with others are on par rather than the internal realization of him on how he treats and how he sees God. Right here, we see a clash in the values. What are values in your life that clash with honoring and worshiping our God? Herein lies the danger of work-based, performance-based gospel. There's, not, there's nothing that we could do to have a better gospel. There's not much money I could give to receive a better promise. Those promises are there. Those promises are promises to us. There's nothing that we can do. We need to understand the grace of God, that he has given us his grace through his son. We need to understand that he is made, he, he, that we're allowed to make new through his covenant with us. Paul makes this abundantly clear in 2 Corinthians. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are made right through Jesus. He offers everything that we could ever need. We might want something else. We might want the next best, the next best thing. We might try to achieve our careers, wherever we're at, to be that person in a higher standard or whatever it is. But to what cost? My cost to be the best chef I could, want, I could be was the cost of my family. The cost of me not being a father with my kids at all times. And that led us to have a lot of arguments, a lot of fights in our marriage. And even when we accepted Jesus Christ, my wife and I, we still had a lot of reconciling to do. I remember when we accepted Jesus Christ on July 3rd, 2012, my wife and I, about a month into our walk with the Lord, I had a pretty high position at one of the local schools as an as a executive chef for multiple campuses. And one day, I come to work, and security is at the door. And I'm like, well, that's odd. Who's here at 4 in the morning? Well, they wouldn't allow me into the building. They said that I had been terminated because of my conduct with other employees in the past. So with that, I got let go. And then I get home. And I, ask my, I tell my wife what happened. And she knew what kind of stuff I was into in the past 
and we're working through those things. So she asked me, so what are we going to do now? And if you guys don't know a little bit about the culinary world, is that they are a bunch of gossipers. Chefs call chefs. They call their executive chefs. They call their sous chefs. They just a big old social media kind of they When you're on a blacklist, you're on the blacklist. So my wife said, what are you going to do now? I'm like, I don't know. What are you going to do? But <laughs> that was just part of my heart. It was changing at that time. So the Lord took everything away from me, and I didn't understand it. Why? He took my career away from me. I didn't know it was an idol back then. I didn't know what an idol was. I grew up having idols in the streets. I grew up with the drug dealers, the pimps, and the hustlers. They, they were my idols because that's all I knew. But doing that, my idol was my career. It was my achievements on what I could do as a chef. But that was the cost of everything. So I had no identity once I got fired. And I, I couldn't be able to get a job. I spent eight months looking for work. And I couldn't get a job. My identity was with Christ. Where does your identity lie in today? If you take away my Jeep, if you take away my Harley, if you take away my dreads, if you take away my tattoos, my gauges, my Dixons, that doesn't define who I am as a person. Jesus Christ has identified that for me because he has given his life for us to inherit eternal life. And we need to understand that, not to allow the world to tell us where our, where our identity is. We need to have faith like a child with childlike faith. It's simple, you guys. Faith is pretty simple because the Lord did all the work for us. We just have to repent of our sins and I know that that could be a really hard thing to do, but we need to understand that we can't do this alone. There are many religions out there that, that is a, a way to get closer to their God or to God's is by doing things, by offering money, by doing this, these things that aren't in Scripture. If we read Scripture, we understand that it's pretty basic on how to obtain faith. We complicate things. I know I complicate things. This whole week, I've complicated my whole life trying to figure out what I'm going to say, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, trying to figure out to go to the stadium with a four-year-old that is wanting everything in the world and me to go pee and all this stuff. Um, so as you know, my 22-year-old, it's been a while since I've changed diapers, right? Thank God. Um, so we're at the stadium. And Giovanni, my grandson, I'm observing, checking everything out, watching the game, trying to, and everybody knows the pee-pee dance, right? All right, you just kind of, I don't want to go, don't, do want to go, whatever. So I go, Joe, you need to go to the bathroom? He's like, no, because he's eating cotton candy. I go, dude, you need to go to the bathroom, right? He's like, okay, it's coming out, granddad. He's like, can I go right here? I go, No. Let's go to the bathroom. So we go to the bathroom, but it's so simple for them, right? I need to go. I'm going to go right here, right? But we need to be instructed. I need to instruct them. So it's understanding these things that we need to have that childlike faith because Jesus doesn't make it complicated for us. He doesn't put a whole bunch of rules or some commandments that are obtainable, but really, it's really simple, Verse 21 says, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this, at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So it is here when we see the heart of our Savior and the amazing grace of God in the light of our present reality. Mark mentions that Jesus was looking into this, into this man and he felt love for him. That is our God. He loves us. He looks at us and he loves us. 
I just think the day that my wife and I accepted him into our hearts, that he looked at us and he loved us. We felt that love. Having that love for Jesus is like nothing in this world. That love transcends into the people that we are ministering to, the people that we are doing life with. People need to know who our God is. People need to know where our heart lies, and that should be with Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, you guys. I'm not telling you guys to sell everything and give it to the church unless that's where the Lord has you. And if that is where the Lord has you, praise God. And if it doesn't, praise God. But doing this walk with Jesus, I've learned that there's always things in my life that could be trimmed, that could be pruned. How I'm treating his creation. How am I treating my wife? How am I serving my wife? How am I being a good father to my kids, to my grandchildren, to this congregation, to the world? He tells this man to sell all of his assets and possessions and give it to the poor. But he also tells him to follow him, to follow me. How hard is it to follow Christ? Well, it's sacrificial because we have to do it from our heart. We have to put the things aside of this world to follow him in a way that he wants us to follow him. The rich young ruler is told, is told to give all that he owns for the sake of following Jesus. Are we open to, sac to follow Jesus sacrificially in that way? And it could be a house. It could be a possession. It could be a wardrobe. It could be whatever that it is in, in, that's preventing you from following Jesus. But he does want you to follow him. We need to want to pursue him. So as we were there at the, at the Mariner game yesterday, it was so amazing to see so many believers worshiping, worshiping and listening to these two um, ball players sharing with us about their pursuing Jesus. And I love it when a kid just went up and asked him, how do you hit a 100-mile-an-hour ball? And the pitcher was like, I don't know. That's why I don't hit the ball. I pitch the ball. <laughs> so those kinds of things, we need to be honest. When we can't do something, we need to be honest with our children. Let them know that we aren't perfect. They need to know that we as parents, as grandparents, aren't perfect because we are pursuing a per God that is perfect. And he's going to give us the tools. He's going to give us the provision to be Christ-like. And that is giving up what he wants us to give up and carrying your cross. Now, I know about you, but my cross is pretty heavy. At times, I need help. And I'm so blessed by our church here and the pastors that we have here, Pastor Kevin, Paul, John, Garrett, where we're doing and we're ministering together. We're not alone in this. I call upon them all the time to help me with things because I know I can't do this alone. Our time that we have here on this world is so limited. It's just a small amount of time. But what impact can we have for the generations coming up behind us? The gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. But who are we worshiping? Are we worshiping the world or are we worshiping Jesus? Matthew 6, 19 says, do not lay up yourselves, yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is our heart today, this morning? Is it with things that will rust away or something that's going to last forever to all eternity with Jesus? As we move on to the next verse, we see that we can't 
serve two masters. We can't serve the world and Jesus at the same time. But Jesus tells this man a very difficult truth. He says, and Jesus, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, verse 23, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So where is our heart? Is it towards Jesus or toward the world? Our unwillingness to surrender to the things of this world can forsake our next steps. It can also lead to a lifetime. Uh, it can also lead in eternity without Jesus, without God. Since coming to the feet of Jesus, he has blessed me upon, up above and beyond I can ever imagine. And that same hope that I lie that lies with Jesus is the same hope I pray for my children and my grandchildren. Because I do, the day that he calls me up to be with him or the day that he comes for the church, I want to be there with my family. But I also understand that not all of us are going to be there. And at times, that breaks my heart. But the one of the things I could do to, to keep on keeping on is to show who Jesus is through my walk in life. My reality should be every Christian's reality, or everybody's Christian's reality should be Jesus' reality. In Mark 10, 26, it says, And they were greatly astonished, saying amongst themselves, among themselves, Who then can be saved? So here's these disciples. They're chilling with Jesus, right? He is pouring on them. He is telling them the things of heaven, and they ask, who then can be saved? And I'm just thinking, hold on, aren't you guys walking with Jesus? I'm sure he's said it a couple times, you know, who can be saved? You guys aren't, yeah. <laughs> we thought riches was a sign of God's approval. No, riches are not God's approval. In our time in Belize, where we went uh, about a month ago at VBS. What we would call poverty is regular life for Belize. It's in the slums, it's in a hard neighborhood. There was a murder when we were there, just a block and a half away from the church. This is what their reality is. This is what their life is. Are they startled? Yes, of course. But this is their reality. Just like my reality was back in South LA, where the pimps, the hustlers, and the, and, and the drug dealers were our idols. This is who their idols were, and this is where their life is. But if we could have gone there as a team and showed them that we are a little bit different, then I think we've accomplished that mission for that time. Now it's time for the church in Belize and they've been doing this, but to be those examples for those children, for that neighborhood, that this church could be a light in a dark, dark place. We might think, where's Belize at? What's in Central America? But just look at our community here. We see a lot of corruption, we see a lot of drugs, alcohol, but we are that light in a dark place. And we need to go out there and keep on being the light outside of these walls. In verse 27 says, but then Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Amen. With God, all things are possible. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. For him to save a wretch like me. God is not an impossible God. We can attain him through his son. But he has done it all. He is the good teacher. He is the good shepherd. I've tried to come to God through religious acts, through religious things in the past, but those have come and gone. 
the faith I have today will stay with me forever into eternal life. And those are the things that we want to share with the world, that ultimately, whatever we hold our possessions to are going to go away. They're going to fade away. They're going to rust. Or somebody's going to steal it. We can't put our faith in the world. And here, Peter, in verse 28, he says, Then Peter began to say to him, See, we had left all and followed you. So I love Peter. Love Peter. He, sometimes he just talks and doesn't think about it, right? I'm like that. I talk and I'm like, what did I just say? But Peter, right here he says, we had left all and followed you. Does Jesus, does God want you to leave all to follow him? That's a personal question. I can't answer that for you. Thank God I'm not God. Our God is a God of sovereign grace. He gives his love to us and he directs our steps. How can we pursue God? It's dying to ourselves, realizing that there might be something that is stopping us from worshiping Jesus. What is that in your life? For me, it was my career as a chef. And he took that away from me. And I am blessed that he took that away from me. At the time, I didn't know where my next paycheck was going to come. But I did have to put my assurance in Jesus that he was going to take care of me. And he hasn't left my side since that day. And I thank him for that because I see his provision over my life every day. Verse 29 says, so Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus right here, he promises a hundred times more blessings. That's our God. He is blessing us with that. But he also says it's going to come along with persecution. And you will gain a hundred times the family within the family of God. Twelve years ago, I didn't have this great family that I have here today. That's only by Jesus Christ. The, real, the very real blessing will always outweigh the cost of what we think it is. If Jesus took my career away as a chef, thank you, Jesus. Because I have now a hundredfold more blessings than I did before. And I look forward to what blessings he has for not only for our church or for me, but for the world to come to him to understand who he is. Verse 31 says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. What a blessing is that, that we will be there first. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. We, like the young rich ruler, must decide which kingdom we want our reward in. Do I want my reward here on earth or in heaven? Like I said earlier, my possessions are going to leave. My kids, they're going to inherit debt. Great, right? Because I don't have anything. But that's, what that's where my eternal life stands, and that's with Jesus. Two chapters ago, we see in Jesus 8 where, I mean, Mark 8, for what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Brothers and sisters, I gave my soul to the world when I was in the world. I was seeking and searching for things that I thought were happiness and joy. Yesterday, I had one of the best times, the joyful times I had in a long time. Being with brothers, sisters, worshiping Jesus, singing songs of praise to him, and to finish it off, hugging my grandchild, singing worship songs to him. 
that is our God. I am blessed beyond whatever money I have in the bank, whatever possessions I have, whatever the world wants to give me. Jesus paid it all for us. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly, richly all things to enjoy. Let's enjoy the presence of him in us. Let's enjoy our family of faith. I'd like to worship, uh, welcome the worship team back up as we start to, to close. Let's enjoy the time that he's given for us, and let's remember what he's done for us. Today, as we take communion, I, I ask you to examine your hearts. What does God, what does Jesus want you to give up? Or what is in your way to worshiping Jesus? Second Timothy says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That is a promise, you guys. Are we willing to suffer persecution? Are we willing to live sacrificially? I can't make that answer for you. Let's seek God in all that we do, and let's worship together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. I pray that we can examine ourselves as we seek you in all that we're doing, Lord. If you call us to sell everything and give it to the poor, or simply, if you call us to live a certain way, I pray that we could respond to you, Lord. I pray that we don't make this a monetary thing, but a spiritual thing in a sense. What can we be taking out of our lives to come closer to you, Lord? As this young rich ruler, as you looked at him, you said that you loved him, that, Jesus, that you loved him. Lord, we know that you love us and you love all creation. We are created, we are all created in your image and we thank you for that. And as we enter a time of worship and communion, we just pray that for everybody here. In your name we pray, amen.